Sleepy Hollow is a place like no other. A place where the forces of good and evil collide for the fate of the world. Prophecies foretold witnesses destined to protect us all. But will they prevail? Armed with keen insights and the ability to see into dark realms. Well, maybe. Barb and Steve help decipher The Witness Prophecies, a fan podcast dedicated to Sleepy Hollow on Fox. Welcome back, Sleepyheads. This is episode 30 of Witness Prophecies. I'm Steve, and I refuse to be taunted by this blatant apathy. And I'm Barb, and no, I haven't been influenced by a strange rune and become a monster, even if I sound like one. Today, we're going to be discussing the 12th Sleepy Hollow episode of Season 3 entitled Sins of the Father, which was written by Damien Kindler and directed by Wendy Stansler. Now, she also wrote the Season 2 episode of Mama, which was just fantastic. Yes, it was. She seems to be involved in all the Mills family stories. Well, she seems to know them very well, doesn't she? Yes, she does. How about a recap, Barb? I'll do that for you, Steve. As we open the episode, the Hidden One awakens and sees Pandora gazing into her koi pond and lamenting the loss of her powers. He gives her some of his, and when she says it was too little, he tells her that now she knows how he feels, and if he suffers, she will as well. Jenny, with Joe waiting in the car for her, meets her father in a local diner. She tells him he was a rotten person for abandoning their family and asks why he left. He said he didn't know how to handle his wife's illness, drank, and then went into the Navy for six years. He wants to see Abby as well as Jenny. Later, Jenny tells Abby that it wasn't easy confronting their father. Inkabod Crane is preparing a gourmet meal while singing along to an opera. It's to be a candlelight dinner for Abby, and then off to the movies with Jenny and Joe. But Abby begs off, saying she is going to the gun range. She tells him she is fine, but her shooting at the range would indicate that she's not okay, as she can't hit the bullseye on the target. Danny Reynolds is there and brings up their recent discussion when he told her that he loved her. He says he wants to restore their trust and that she is important. He invites her to the diner, but she says no to him. She receives a blocked text message that instructs her to meet someone if she wants to save lives, and intrigued, off she goes. The stranger is Atticus Nevins, who tells her there is another monster loose in Sleepy Hollow and she needs his help to stop it. The entire team meets Abby at the archives, where they take turns questioning Nevins. He tells them about his experience in 1991 during the Iraqi War, when he and August Corbin were procuring gold bullion, but they were ambushed by a monster. He said that August saved his life, and it was the first time that August had contact with the supernatural, which became his lifelong obsession. Telling the team that Corbin had hidden files and then finding them, he tells them that the monster is an ancient Mesopotamian Galu, more commonly known as a demonic ghoul. Its only weakness is a golden scarab, which can be used to control the ghoul. Our team believes that Randall has the golden scarab, and Joe and Sophie raid one of his storage areas to find it. While there, they are caught by Randall and his henchmen, but Randall is attacked by the ghoul, who thrusts his arm through Randall in true alien fashion. They realize that Randall wasn't controlling the ghoul, and that Nevins must be doing it. 
As Abby and Crane are being warned about Nevins, he shows them that he has hidden the golden scarab, which looks like a dung beetle, in the cavity created in his body when Pandora removed his spleen. He sends the scarab into the ghoul, giving the ghoul control over itself, and Nevins flees with Corbin's files. Abby and Crane fight the monster, and Abby, although suffering flashbacks, is finally able to shoot the scarab and kill the ghoul. Meanwhile, Nevins has Jenny hostage in the tunnels, and he confronts Joe. Joe learns the truth about his father. Nevins has been lying about August, trying to paint him as a self-serving and evil individual, but he was the great person we have known. Nevins escapes, and Jenny is unharmed. Abby finally meets her father and asks about her mom and the hallucinations. Clearly, Abby is worried about going down the same path as her mother. He tells her that if she is going through something difficult, that he wants to be there to help her. Danny is called by the FBI director with whom he met in Washington. He is told to downgrade the search for Nevins, which Danny doesn't understand. What Danny doesn't know is that Nevins has turned over August Corbin's files to the director, who then shot and presumably killed Nevins. Abby tells Crane she will meet him and the rest of the gang at the tavern, sending him ahead. She goes to a room where we see that her journal is filled with drawings of a rune symbol, and she has painted it everywhere. She crosses her arms and pledges herself to an unknown entity. You saved me. I'm yours. That's pretty scary, isn't it, Steve? Yes, it is. Ooh, so before we talk about it, you better tell us some news so that I can calm myself back down. <laughs> All righty. We do have some numbers. For episode nine, One Life, the live plus seven, we tied for 25th in adults 18 to 49 viewers gain, going from a 0.9 to a 1.5. We tied for 13th in adults 18 to 49 percentage gain, increasing 67%. We were 24th in total viewers gain, going from a 3.1 to 4.9 million viewers and 12th in total viewers' percentage gain, increasing by 57%. Now, Episode 10, Incident at Stone Manor, Live Plus 7, tied for 14th, and adults 18 to 49 percentage gain, increasing by 75%. And we were tied for 19th in viewer percentage gain, going from 3.16 to 4.8 for a 54% increase. Last episode. Preliminary numbers, 3.15 million viewers with a 0.8 rating among adults 18 to 49. Now, that was lowered a little bit to 3.09 million viewers with a 0.07 rating among adults 18 to 49. Unfortunately, the numbers went the wrong way. Drats. Yes. For this episode... Sins of the Father, preliminary numbers, 2.99 million viewers with a 0.8 rating in adults 18 to 49, which is slightly higher than Fox's average for the night of 2.4 million and 0.7. Now, the final numbers dropped a little bit, but not nearly as much to 2.96 million viewers, and the rating of 0.8 stayed the same. So, a nice 0.8 number there. Yeah, we're remaining consistent somewhere around 3 million with this first pass and either a 0.7 or a 0.8, and it's normally been about a 0.8. Right, and we're really close to the 5 million viewers that I think it's going to take to get renewed on our Live Plus 7 as well. Yes. So ratings, Steve, did you have one for this week's episode? 
Yes, I did. I enjoyed this episode immensely, and I gave it nine St. August Corbins, Marine Sergeant, Moral Babysitter. I like that. And I really enjoyed this episode, too, and I gave it nine candlelit dinners. Oh, Aww. that almost happened. <laughs> uh, that almost happened, yeah. I'd yeah. like to believe that it did. So why don't we talk about this episode a little bit, Steve? How is sure. our Team 2 tribulation, our evil people? Well, the Hidden One and Pandora get a single scene, but it's one that reestablishes the growing rift between them and also demonstrates how the Hidden One is almost certainly going to overestimate his bride's devotion to him, I think. Can't understand why Pandora misses her powers, and he was in the exact same boat just a few months ago. He's pretty clueless. Yeah, he really is. And in his mind, his pain was and is so much worse than anything Pandora has ever endured. Poor baby. (laughs) And of course, he does give her a little bit of power back. And she kind of whines that it's just a little bit. But he tells her that she needs to know how he feels. If he has to suffer, then so does she. Can I just say it one more time? You know, the hidden one is really a jerk. (laughs) You know, most guys, most husbands, they're going to like take care of their wives. They really don't want them to have pain and suffering. And he, it's so all about him. It sure is. Although I did see some interesting tweets about the hidden one being shirtless, right? (laughs) You probably didn't pay too much attention to those, but I just kept thinking, I'm glad the ladies were drooling. But again, it gets down to him. The character personality, and he's just not very nice to his woman. No, not as devoted as she has been to him for the millennia. Oh, no kidding. She did a lot of work to get him back. You would think he would uh, be a little more appreciative of that, but doesn't appear to be the case. Nope. And then out of nowhere, Nevins returns. Yeah. How did that happen? I don't know, because he was just a great big old puddle of blood. That's what I thought, too. I thought she had just taken him completely out, but apparently not. Yeah, but you know what? Bill Irwin just plays such a great Atticus Nevins. I mean, what um, evil, despicable character, right? (laughs) Yeah. And he didn't let us down this week, either. No, he didn't. So what did he do, Steve? Well, we get the... Nice story of uh, Iraq in 1991. And the one thing I thought was curious about it as as we see it is it kind of played out two different ways. At first, he says, yeah, the monster attacked them and August saved him. And you think, okay. But then when he gets confronted again about it later on in the episode, we see that he did find the golden scarab before the monster attacked and had it packed away before, you know, as they were making their escape. Now, how he knew that that scarab was important enough to keep or that the monster was going to be there, mm, we didn't really get that explained. <laughs> well, and we know that Nevins hasn't exactly been the most honest and forthright person that we've seen on the show. Uh, Yeah. And apparently he hasn't been uh, fed too well either (laughs) because... 
He was looking a little rough, wasn't he? Yes, he was. And he devoured that bird that they cooked up for him. Afraid he was going to eat the bones there for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Crane wouldn't have taken it from him. <laughs> but yeah, he played the the witnesses like a fiddle, had them believing that he was actually trying to help them when his entire goal was to get into the archives, find Corbin's files, and get out of there. And case number one. Yes, and case number one. I'm real, I Actually, I was a little bit surprised that they, well, they didn't trust him, you know, because they kept grilling him and right. the comments that they threw at him. But yeah, he pulled one over on him. Yeah, having the the scarab inside his body, yeah, you don't really think about that, you know, as being a possibility. Heavens, no. You wouldn't want to have a bug inside of you. No. <laughs> kind of gross. No telling what it might eat while it's in there. Oh, I don't even want to think about it. I haven't had dinner yet. <laughs> oh, gross. Now, of course, it was funny that he called the ghoul Fido. Yeah, I know. Come along, little pet. Fido. Jeez. That was some scar he had on him, too, that uh, when Pandora took out his spleen. That was yeah. That was pretty gross looking. Yes, it was. Uh-huh. And I would be curious to find out who actually sewed him up, because he sure couldn't have gone to the hospital to get sewed up, because he would have been ID'd. I, how did he get so far so fast? Exactly. <laughs> Because Abby and Sophie were right out there after him, when after Pandora confronted him in the van. And Pandora had gone very far because Abby caught up with her. Yes. So maybe Pandora whooshed him off somewhere because he was being punished and she thought she might need him later. Right. Who knows? About the only decent explanation. <laughs> and a lot of holes in Nevins's uh, stories here. Well, there was a big hole in Nevins. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, couldn't help it. Now, of course, he does make it off with the important files and immediately heads to the tunnels. And he hears Jenny and Joe talking, so he basically sets up a trap. And fortunately, it was Jenny that he was able to get. But then Joe really talked Nevins down by, once again proving that August really wasn't the bad guy. He was always the good guy. And I'm so glad that Joe got that reassurance before Nevins bit it. Because I think we all believe that about August, but it was so nice to see that reconfirmed for us. Yes. Yeah. It really was, because nothing we've seen over the last three years have even hinted that August was as bad as Nevins originally made him out to be. Yeah, only Nevins. He's been the only person. Right. And we get to find out almost how bad he is as he ends up meeting with Walters. And this, of course, was the very first time we saw his name show up at all when uh, Danny looked at his phone. Mm-hmm. So at least now we know his name. Yep. And. uh Nevins actually got the tables turned on him. Nevins, of all people, should know better than to trust someone. Exactly. But he thought he was uh, retired 
And it ended up not being the way he thought it was going to be. Well, he was retired, but I think he's retired six feet under. Yeah. But curious that Walters would do it in his car. Kind of Maybe it's a rental, but still. (laughs) Yeah, it makes a mess. That's hard to get out. Yeah, really. Because he had to shoot him in the head, so I guess maybe he'll uh, crash it and burn it. Yeah, maybe he can do that. As an FBI director, I'm sure there are a lot of things he could get away with. Uh, Yeah. Now, it'll be interesting to find out how far Walters and this goes. If it's just him or if there is a whole cabal that's behind this. I think we're going to be speculating about that in a bit, aren't we? I think so. Yes. How did Team Witness do? Well, this was a very good and emotional week, I think, for Jenny and for Joe. One of the nice things was how Joe really supported Jenny as she went to discuss or to meet and confront her father. He was right there for her. And it was was just a wonderful supporting thing that you would expect your partner to do for you. And when Jenny did confront her father, he admitted that he was the bad guy and that he didn't know how to help her mom and that he had joined the Navy for medical benefits. And then six years later, he left the Navy. But here's my question. Why on earth didn't he look for them six years later? He knew that his wife was gone and that his kids were in foster care, I think. I mean, that's the impression that we were left with. But why wouldn't this supposedly devoted father go find his daughters at that point in time? And that bothers me. Yes, that's about the only thing that we didn't get answered by Ezra Mills. Uh-huh. I mean, everything else that he did during the episode seemed to be very supportive. Almost perfect. Too perfect. Uh, yeah, too perfect. Too perfect. <laughs> because he told them that it was, he wanted them to know that they had not, not done anything wrong, that it was all him. Right. And then he also said that he wants to see Abby. Yeah. Yeah. And that was a nice discussion between Jenny and Abby, because Abby said, well, how was it? And Jenny said that it was difficult to have that conversation, and that it was very tough. And so she was very honest, but very caring at the same time with her sister. Their relationship has grown so much during it really the episodes. Has. It really has. And yeah. from being estranged to having this incredible and wonderful connection between the two of them. And they can share these personal hurts with each other. Now, the interesting thing is, of course, that Jenny tells Abby that she knows Abby is different and that Abby is hurting, but she doesn't press her. She's giving Abby her own space. Right. Just like Crane has been doing. Exactly. Now, I got to tell you, so Sophie joined Team Witness this week. What I found a bit surprising was that Sophie and Joe went to go procure the Golden Scarab, right? And they were trying to get it away from Randall. And the fact that Jenny was not with them was a little surprising to me. But I thought that Sophie and Joe did an effective job in their pursuit, in their search for the artifact. But again, Jenny was the artifact expert. So I really was surprised that she wasn't there. Yeah, that was a bit unusual. And I don't think if Jenny was there, they would have been quite as surprised when Randall showed up. They wouldn't have been caught mm -hmm. so easily. Uh I agree. Because Jenny more or less seems to have that instinct. Although she didn't exactly prove that when Nevins caught her in the the tunnels, did she? No. No. 
But I'll tell you what, when Randall and his henchmen had them there, and then here comes the ghoul, and then the ghoul's arm goes right through Randall, just like an like alien, and I'm like, oh, that's, although alien, it really, the monster really burst out of the the guy's right. you know, gut, but it was close enough, and I'm like, this is so gross. But at least at that point in time, Sophie and, and Joe realized that, oh, Randall isn't in charge of this thing. Nevins has to be controlling the ghoul. And they realized that the scarab isn't an artifact. It's got to be something different. Right. So those were some important clues that they were able to provide to the rest of our team. And that would help them figure out what to do. Now, of course, when, as you mentioned before, when Nevins caught Jenny, the two of them splitting up in the tunnel, worst plan ever, right? Yes. Good grief. But at that point, as we've already discussed, Joe did learn the truth about his father. And I liked what Joe, how Joe took that and turned it around on Nevins because he said to Nevins, you loved my father. And he nailed Nevins on that. And I yes. think that was so instrumental in getting Nevins to let go of Jenny and then run for it. Because I think that Joe managed to really pierce Nevins and remind Nevins of his own hurt. So Exactly. That was great. That entire scene was fantastic. There was so much outstanding writing in this episode. I really enjoyed the character development. So did I. And that was probably one of the, the more powerful scenes in the whole episode was Joe being able to turn the tables on Nevins and, and basically break him. Yes, absolutely. He knocked it out of the park. Yes, so absolutely what about, did. What about our main man, Crane, this week? <laughs> well, we open up and we've gone from throwing frozen lasagna in a pan to becoming a world-class chef <laughs> and an opera singer in a very short time. <laughs> oh, he was just probably so upset about Abby that he didn't even want to deal with real food, right? So I'm going to give him a pass on that. He was wonderful. Oh, listening to him sing. He's improved since the karaoke, don't you think? Well, I think so, yeah, yes. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> and of course, he plans this beautiful dinner for Abby with food and candlelight and wine and Ooh. she basically says thanks but no thanks uh yeah poor guy and you could see the disappointment but he still tried to keep a positive face on it and still try to be supportive of what she's needing but yeah that was that was tough to to go to all that work to fix such a a lovely dinner and Get, keep it warm for me. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, we've, we've watched him over the past several weeks really realize how important Abby is to him. Yes. And he's not expressing it in words per se. So he's doing the guy thing by doing it through actions. Oh, sorry. Right. That, that just sounded so stereotypical. Sorry, Steve. <laughs> Ooh. But he did. I mean, it's I'm going to give you this great meal and I'm going to do this for you. But, yeah, he's kind of expressing his affection. He's bringing home fresh kill. Yes. And he pretty much stayed in sidekick mode for almost the entire episode, which wasn't bad. I don't mind him 
playing second fiddle from time to time, especially when it's an episode that is so heavily Mills-centric as this one was. Yes. Now, it was real interesting that she goes to the range, and it's horrible. You see Danny just go bam, 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 straight up, dead center every shot, every section, all the way to the head. And Abby's shoulders and sides, and yet he still expressed his faith in Abby that she could shoot and hit that little scarab in the ghoul's chest. Mm-hmm. He believes and, in and it. Right. And she's basically, you know, right as soon as he said, I believe you, she goes, I can't shoot that. Mm-hmm. And goes into flashback mode. And then as soon as she comes out of it, she pulls the trigger and nails it. But Crane expresses his faith in her. And she needs that. And that really, that gives her faith in herself. Right. When, he's, when he says that he has faith in her. And yet she still relied on bringing back the flashbacks of what she went through. And I think she's just, apparently because she was there for so long, it's almost a comfort level for her. Yeah. And, and I'll tell you what, during that fight scene, watching Crane fight. Now, what was it that he was using? An American flag. And? A trash can lid. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, that was great. Did you see what they called him on Twitter? Yeah. The original Captain America. I I thought that was was outstanding. Yes, it was. And then you just picture him in that uniform, those tights and everything. And I thought, no, no, not our crane, no. But yeah, that was fantastic. That was just great. He's very versatile. He can use whatever weapon is at hand. Yes. Mm-hmm. He makes anything a weapon. He does. <laughs> so at least he was on top of his game. Even if Abby wasn't. Yes. And speaking of Abby. Yes. And I think that one of the things that I, all of us found somewhat unsettling during the episode was Abby's unwillingness to tell either Inkabot or Jenny about her visions. But I think that it also, that what that really did is it, it spoke to the difficulties of expressing your trauma to people who haven't experienced it for themselves because you're afraid of being viewed as different or crazy, right? And certainly that's what she thought when she met with her father, right? Yes. She was concerned about her mom's hallucinations. And I think that she's trying to figure out whether or not she really was suffering from post traumatic stress disorder or if she had inherited a gene that was going to make her go nuts, right? Right. And that was very sad. In a yes, way. it was. For the, meeting your father for the first time in forever, and that's really all you want to talk about is how fast did it happen and really just more concerned about what their mom went through. You could tell that she was very concerned that this was happening to her. Terribly troubled by the whole thing. Yes. But you know what she remembered out of all that that she told him was that she said that she knew that her father used to tell her stories and sing to her. And that's almost like a child looking for comfort in a very difficult or tough situation. Yeah, and Ezra says, I'm here. I'll do anything you need me to do. And And she snaps right back with, 
I have people for that. I know she blows him back off. So right. she opened herself up a little bit and then she pulled back. But again, if you stop and think about it, that's I don't think that's unusual at all. He disappeared from their lives. He quote unquote, des- I mean, he did. He deserted them. He didn't quote unquote desert them. He really did desert them. Yes, he did. And then he he's come back and he didn't look for them. So you bet there's going to be pain there. You know, why did you abandon me? Why did you leave me? So she opened up her shell a little bit and then closed it right back up. Right. And I think the other thing that was probably unsettling for all of us as fans was that we knew she had this journal to help her define and sort through her trauma. But at the end of the episode, what we see is that she has only used this to draw pictures of that rune symbol. And that's it. And that was chilling. Yes, it was. No notes about, oh, I, you know, I suffered from this flashback today or whatever. It's just this rune, this rune symbol. And she's so obsessed by it because when she sits down at the very end and she looks at this thing, gazing at it with awe and reverence, and then she crosses her arms and says, she's pledging her allegiance to this unknown yes. entity. And you're thinking, oh my goodness, she's gone. You know, has she gone dark? Has she gone evil? What on earth has happened to her? Right. And at the time, you, because the episode ends on that note, you're left going, no! <laughs> I know. And, you know, and there's one other thing that she did. The fact that she went to meet Nevins by herself when she didn't even know who it was. All right. she had was a block message. A grounded Abby would have taken backup, and she didn't. And so I think that that just shows us the extent to which she's not thinking clearly. No, she really isn't. She still seems to be too preoccupied with the rune. It is almost controlling all of her daily decisions. Yes. Even the small ones. So, yeah, it was uh, a very scary episode as far as what was going on with Abby. Mm-hmm. And that is the question, isn't it? Yes. Is it post-traumatic stress or is she in contr- being controlled? Right. Mm-hmm. Is part of the uh, eye of providence still inside her? Or is it even the, and we're, I guess we're getting into theories and prophecies here, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> yes, we are. I guess we've jumped right into it. Yeah, is it the eye of providence in her? Is it some type of symbol that the hidden one, since that was his lair or his place of captivity for such a long time, 4,000 years? Is there some piece of evil that he's left behind? Is it somebody else? Is it some unknown entity that we haven't seen yet? And we don't know the answer to that. No, we don't. And and we don't even have a clue as to what even to possibly think about it, because all we really know is the hidden one was basically down there for a very long time. So yes. something put him down there. And we and we don't know what that is yet. No, we don't. No. We don't know if it's another demigod that was able to put him down there that might be good. Or another one that might be worse than him. Well, if he keeps up his behavior, I think Pandora may send him back there. (laughs) That's a very real possibility. Yeah, she needs to put the bottom of her shoe to his. Yeah. Yeah. All right, I'll stop that. (laughs) Now, okay, I'm going to just say it right here. 
I was wrong. Yet again, Danny isn't evil. Because if he was, he wouldn't have questioned why FBI Director Jack Walters told him to stop looking for Nevins or take, it down, take the case search down a couple notches. So Danny is going to be good. Hmm. And he loves Abby. Hmm. <laughs> Sorry, shippers. I don't particularly care for that either. Yeah. So who yeah, we will. It will be interesting to see where this goes because we see Danny bring it up again, and Abby just shoots him down immediately. Uh huh. There's no if, ands, or buts about it. I know, but here's the deal. Do you think that FBI Director Jack Walters sent, knew about Danny and Abby's relationship with the Academy? Oh, absolutely. And then that he may have sent Danny on this mission to Sleepy Hollow so that he could keep an eye on Abby that way? Yes. I do believe that that is the only reason Danny is in Sleepy Hollow, Mm -hmm. is Walter's putting there. Yeah, so then that means, okay, so who is Jack Walter's working with? Exactly. (laughs) We've got a couple possibilities. Could he possibly be working for Pandora and the Hidden One? I don't know. It's a possibility because we don't have a clue. You know, we haven't seen him interact with anybody but Danny so far. Well, and now Nevins. Right. And we know that Nevins was working with Pandora. For Pandora. Uh-huh. Oh, that would be a nice twist if Pandora actually had a uh, a backdoor plan being put in place just in case the Hidden One decides to go off the deep end. That's possible. Yeah, that that would be very interesting to see if she comes out in the end with more power than he does and, like you said, sends him back to the catacombs. <laughs> Maybe. But Walter, so I wonder how Walters and Atticus Nevins knew each other. Let's face it. Walters is FBI, so he could have prior military experience. Sure he, he may he may know him from the military, and maybe maybe he wants a lot of power for himself. Mm-hmm. Maybe he wanted all of um Atticus, Atticus Nevin's little artifact toys because he understands that there's power in them. So I guess that's the question: Is Walter's working with Pandora and or the Hidden One, or is he in it for himself, or is there someone else? Right. Because he said something, didn't he? Didn't he say something to the effect that? we're going to be pleased or something like yes, that. Yes. Yeah. It was, yeah. he did use a plural there. Yes, he did. We're going to have to keep an eye on him. Yes. <laughs> yes. We need to make sure uh, what he's doing at all times. Mm-hmm. So they mentioned something else during the episode that was a, a new clue, wasn't it, Steve? Yes. What was it? Basically, it was the, that they did all this in Iraq. Uh huh. And so, I mean, with Nevins kind of running this thing, trying to get riches, usually is not a small group of people doing that. Usually that ends up being something much larger, as we've seen in other shows, i.e., The Arrow. <laughs> uh huh. But when. So, yes, it's very possible that Walters was the mastermind behind the whole thing. Because when he 
took his files, or actually Corbin's file number one, but he also said he threw in a few bonuses there for FBI Director Mm -hmm. Walters, right? Yes. And he referred to the nine sacred sites. Yes. Well, I went internet trolling because I like to do that. (laughs) And the only thing that I could really find, other than nine hidden ancient sites, was that there are nine worlds in Norse mythology. Okay. So... And, and let's face it, we know that they do twistery on this show, right? It's kind of history okay. with a new little twist to it. Absolutely. So it, it'll be interesting to see what are the nine sacred sites. What does that mean? Because they've certainly collected over time more than nine artifacts. Yes. And I wonder what the nine sacred sites are. And if that has something to do then with Pandora and the hidden one and how, how they would quote unquote rule the world. And I don't know. Yeah, that would be interesting to tie that into some real major figures in North mythology. Yeah, because... We could actually see Thor's hammer show up or something. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh, because if you actually what Abby, the symbol that Abby is drawing is kind of very close to one of the old Norse runes, uh, which is basically their alphabet. and, And I think we'll probably talk about that some more next week. But... So that kind of got me looking into these this Norse mythology thing. And that isn't the first time we've heard of that, too, because I think a couple of our monsters came from Norse mythology, if I have recalled correctly. Yes. So we just have this great big, beautiful jumble of all <laughs> the different mythologies through time. Well, do we think we can trust Ezra yet? See, I don't think so. He is just, he's, I know that the, they set out to find his or steal his lighter, which is what Jetty did uh, for this incantation, the spell that she put together so that Crane could go out on his astral projection and go find Abby and help bring her back. But then they reached out to him. But again, I wonder, why did he never bother to contact them in all the years that he's been back, A, and B, why was he so eager to see Abby and to help her with any of her issues? And he was just almost too perfect. But then again, hey, what am I going to say, right? Because I thought poor Zoe, you know, we talked about her being a witch or something, right? right? <laughs> so uh, let's, I'm, I'm probably painting him into some dark corner where he doesn't really belong. At least I haven't knocked him off yet, right? Right. So, <laughs> but I don't know. I just, I just don't. Yeah, really there's something there that, I mean, yes, I can see that maybe. He feels so bad about being gone for six years that that he just couldn't bring himself to face the girls or try to track them down. Guilt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's taken this long to finally get to the point in his life where he can say, look them in their eyes and say, this was all my fault. I couldn't deal with it. It's not your fault. Maybe, because again, they approached him. Right. Maybe he thought they would never forgive him. Yes. And he didn't want to cause him any more pain, and he just felt horribly guilty. But I think that will resolve itself before the end of the season. I think that we'll get that answer. I think we will, too. Yeah. And let's hope that that's the answer and there's not anything else. (laughs) Because they've been through so much, and those girls should have good daddies, not bad ones. Exactly. Really. 
All right, Steve. So what kind of ickyisms did we have this week? Because uh, there are a few really good ones. Yes, there actually was. E.T., which apparently concerns a diminutive being stranded far from home. Oh, perhaps a different suggestion. Oh, yeah, he totally blew that. The look on Abby's face when he said that, it's like, oh, Crane, no, yeah. no. Yeah, I, and that that's surprising that Crane and Joe and Jenny kind of planned this out, apparently, and that's the movie they just, you would think Jenny would say, no, Crane, don't mention E.T., any movie but E.T., don't mention E.T., Go find a lighthearted comedy. Go watch Caddyshack, for crying out loud. I mean, really. Exactly. All right. If I am to labor at finding answers, I refuse to be taunted by his blatant apathy. (laughs) (laughs) When he sees Nevin scrolling, writing clues in the uh, dirt there. Uh Uh-huh. And, of course, when... uh, Sophie. Sophie shows up after they've taken down the uh, the ghoul. The ghoul. She asks, "Is this the ugliest thing you've ever seen?" And yeah. Crane replies, uh, "Actually, usually they're worse. This one's not too bad." <laughs> and of course, at the end, close to the end, we get Abby comes in and sees Crane with a sandwich, and she goes, "Bologna on whole wheat." That is is the Charlie Brown of sandwiches. The bald boy with bad luck? Good grief. I'd take it, fans. <laughs> well, I guess he's watched a few Peanuts cartoons on TV. Good for him. Yes, at least he was able to catch that reference very quickly and got it right. <laughs> and he was making a bologna sandwich. So much for the gourmet meal. Yes. And as they're talking, uh, Abby basically is uh, not opening up and he goes by your tone am i to assume this topic is to be shelved until later discussion and abby goes nailed it yep (laughs) and as abby's turns around and starts to make him a better sandwich and then decides no i want hot wings and crane goes no poultry is safe in sleepy hollow this dark night yeah (laughs) (laughs) that was great yes uh, because he had very few lines, I believe, the week before. And yes, so this, it, almost uh, nothing, yeah. Yeah, so it was real nice to see him back in full crane mode this week. Yes, yeah, it was. Definitely. All right, what did we learn in this week's history lesson, Barb? Well, Steve, since the only twistery we got this week was about General Washington and torture through good food. <laughs> yeah, uh, Yeah, I don't think anyone wants to about, talk about torture. <laughs> We're just going to talk about the golden scarab beetle, which is an ugly little insect. Yes, it is. It's gross. So the scarab beetle was actually popular during ancient Egyptian times, and it was believed to be the guardian of sacred temples and crypts. These little bugs were ruthless predators, and they were said to hunt without mercy. I, I kind of think our, gold, our ghoul did that, didn't you? Yes, yeah. he, he was uh, definitely no mercy. Uh, no, not with the, I'm sorry, the hand and arm straight through Randall. That's, uh, it's going to take me a long time to get over that visual. <laughs> yeah. All right. So anyway, this was called the dung beetle because of its practice of rolling a ball of dung across the ground. The Egyptians believed that their sun god, Ra, rolled across the sky each day, transforming bodies and souls, and observed this behavior in the beetle. So they equated it with the ball of sun being rolled across the sky. 
Now they confused this bald food source with the egg sac that the female dung beetle laid and buried in the sand. So when the eggs hatched, the dung beetles would seem to appear from nowhere, making it a symbol of spontaneous creation, of rebirth or regeneration. In this role, that dung beetle or the golden scarab was associated with the sunrise. Kepri was the Egyptian's scarab-headed god, and that was after the dung beetle. So they used to make amulets of scarabs, and they were very common in ancient Egypt. They were used for personal or administrative seals, you know, for political or diplomatic purposes. And they were also incorporated into jewelry. They were used to protect mummies. And they were often inscribed with designs or hieroglyphs and were most, and mostly were originally green or blue in color. And they were very common by about 2055 BC. So you didn't need to carry around a live bug like Atticus Nevins. <laughs> you could use a fake one instead to protect you. Anyway, I'm going to include three different links. One to the Ancient Symbols website, to insects.com, and to the Wikipedia website discussing scarabs in our notes for anyone who wants to read more about these delightful little insects. Yes, delightful to say the least. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> right. So, Steve, did we get any feedback this week? Yes, we got a message from Justina. Oh, my gosh. She was, she was trapped in the catacombs the last time yes, we Yes, she was. What's happened? A- Should we listen? Yes. Okay, let's do that. Barb, Steve, can you hear me? I finally found a rope. I'll be back as soon as I can. That's great news, Justina. Thank God you found a rope. Oh, my gosh. That is great. She should be out soon. This is, oh, what a relief. Yes, Yes, we will meet you at the lake, Justina, to make sure you escape unharmed. Yeah, we'll be there to haul you out. Great, great. Very good news. Hopefully it wasn't a year like it was for Abby. Oh, I know. Gosh. Let's make sure we don't give her any journals to write, and then when she gets back. (laughs) Exactly. All right. Well, we would love to hear your thoughts on this episode and the season so far, so please send us your feedback and theories. We want to welcome our new followers on Twitter as well as Facebook, and thanks for all the retweets, favorites, and interaction. This week's shout-outs go to Lana Solange, Beth Rasmussen, Chris Hadley, Caroline Kraft, and Christina Minikin. Thanks so much. And how can they get a hold of us, Barb? Well, there are several different ways they can do that, Steve. Our voicemail number is 304-837-2278, or you can go to goldenspiralmedia.com slash feedback, where you can use the speak pipe widget on the side of the page to record audio, or you can type out your feedback on the form, or you can even record your audio feedback on your own smartphone and attach it to an email and send it in. Now, our feedback deadline is Saturday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time. You can also reach us at Witness Prophecies on Facebook, at Witness Prof GSM on Twitter. You can reach Steve at Salyer Steve, and I am at Tangier14. All right, we've come to that time of the podcast where we're into our visions of the future. So run, run as if. The ghoul has his arm out, and he's trying to pierce you the way that he pierced Randall. (laughs) Run fast. Yes.
as we discuss the press releases for the upcoming episodes. Episode 13 will be shown on March 4th entitled Dark Mirror. The New Jersey Devil targets the town on an all-new Sleepy Hollow Friday, March 4th on Fox. As a monster resembling the fabled New Jersey Devil ravages Sleepy Hollow, Crane must draw on his past to find the connection. Meanwhile, Jenny and Joe stumble as they navigate their new relationship and Abby continues to struggle with the aftermath of her trauma. We're going to meet Crane's kindred spirit in Benjamin Franklin hating, if nothing else. (laughs) That'll be fun. Yes, as uh, Sleepy Hollow is cast the Knicks, Charles Aiken as the founding father's arch enemy. So that will be an interesting character, to say the least. Sounds like it. Yes, he is going to play Dr. Japheth Leeds, a handsome, twisted, mysteriously brooding genius who was Ben Franklin's biggest competition when it came to alchemy. Leeds eventually turned to the darker arts, which backfired when an experiment turned him into the legendary Jersey Devil. Ooh. Yes, so definitely ought to be a interesting episode, if nothing else. Wow. And then episode 14 is going to air on March the 11th. It's called Into the Wild. Abby and Sophie put their survival skills to the test on an all-new Sleepy Hollow. On an FBI team-building day, Abby and Sophie come face-to-face with a monster that may finally blow their cover with Reynolds. Ooh. Meanwhile, Jenny and Joe find themselves in possession of something precious, and Crane discovers that the symbol from the catacombs may be more important than he realized. Uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah. Now, I hope we find this out if this monster may have been sent by Walters or if it just is one that is being called by the hidden one. Ooh, that's a It'd good be thought. great to see if it was something Walters set up so I, we know exactly what side he's on. <laughs> yeah, it'll be interesting to see when we see him again and what he does. Yes. Mm, yeah. Okay, episode 15, March 18th, Incommunicado. The strongest alliances are put to the test on an all-new Sleepy Hollow. After a supernatural event takes the witnesses by surprise, Uh both Crane and Abby are forced to work alongside their most hated foes yet. Whoa. Who? Yeah, who? (laughs) There have been so many, and Atticus Nevins is dead now. Who on earth could that be? Yeah. Huh. Uh, Katrina and Henry? Oh, <laughs> uh, no, they've both been vanquished. Yeah. Huh, we'll have to mull over that one for a while. Yeah, that, that, that's a oh, tough one. Yes. Meanwhile, Jenny and Joe struggle to salvage their relationship as they continue to battle their own internal demons in an all-new incommunicado. Oh, no. No, things are going so well for Jenny and Joe. Let's not have trouble. Yeah, there has to be hiccups somewhere so they can get back together again. Of course. Now, we don't have a title yet for episode 16, but we do know that Francis Scott Key is going to make an appearance, according to IMDb. Hmm. Hmm. Definitely an interesting flashback. Um, As long as we don't have to sing, 
Because right. those, those notes are all over the place. <laughs> yes, but that that does bring about kind of a... Well, that's going to be weird. Wait a minute. Because he didn't... Yeah. Even, wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute. Let me, let me do my, my historical math here. Okay, that doesn't make sense. Huh. All right. Well, I guess we'll have to wait and be surprised. I know. <laughs> uh, okay. Yes, when the battle is about to be lost and things are looking bleak. Yeah, at Fort, we'll, at Fort Sumter. Yeah, I mean, I'm sorry. That's We're into the 1800s, and uh, uh-huh. <laughs> Ukraine is in a box for uh, 250 years. Yeah. All right, let's see what they do here. Right. Episode 17, still don't have the press release for it, but we do know that the... General himself, George Washington, will be making a return appearance. Well, if George is there, my guess is Betsy Ross will be there as well. Yeah, you can count on that, I'm sure. Yeah. And then episode 18, the season finale, from what we saw, is going to have a title of Ragnarok. And that's all we know. However, from Wikipedia in Norse mythology... Ragnarok is a series of future events, including a great battle foretold to ultimately result in the death of a number of major figures. And then they listed a bunch of gods that got kicked, you know, killed, Norse gods. The occurrence of various natural disasters and the subsequent submersion of the world in water. Mm. Afterward, the world will resurface anew and fertile. The surviving and returning gods will meet. And the world will be repopulated by two human survivors. <laughs> Ragnarok is an important event in the Norse canon and has been the subject of scholarly discourse and theory. Okay, that's just damn frightening. Yes, it is. Because <laughs> that's the hidden one blowing up the world, basically, and reestablishing it. Yes, it's exactly sounds exactly like what he's planning to do. Uh-huh, that's just scary. And that's a, that is going to be the season finale. Oh my goodness gracious. Yeah. <laughs> but the, there's two human survivors. I know. Could wow. we end up with just Abby and Crane being the only ones to survive? Well, wait a minute. You're yeah. assuming the hidden one is going to win this thing. Come on, right. Steve. More faith. Well, partner. he may get destroyed in in the uh battle, but it may not completely stop the uh, submersion of the world in water, oh shall we say. This is like, they're going to need Noah's Ark. That's going to uh-huh. happen. Oh, good grief. All right. Well, don't forget, if you haven't purchased Sleepy Hollow Creating Heroes, Demons and Monsters, the official making of book, please do so now. It is an excellent read by Tara Bennett and Paul Terry. Yeah, get the Barb book. And I, Listen to Barb and I both have it, so. Yep. And we reviewed it a couple of weeks ago, so before the winter premiere began. So yes, if you haven't gotten the book, get the book. You're really going to enjoy it. Yes. Please review and rate us on iTunes with good ratings and reviews. It helps other fans of the show find us as there are other Sleepy Hollow podcasts out there. To subscribe in iTunes to any GSM podcast, go to goldenspiralmedia.com backslash iTunes. Tell your friends, and we sure do hope you're enjoying our podcast. And if you are considering buying the Sleepy Hollow book, please don't forget to check out our Amazon links. 
This is Steve, and just as you were by my side when I returned to Sleepy Hollow, so shall I be by yours. Aww. And this is Barb signing out and hoping that you have an Ichabod Crane in your life who can make gourmet meals and sing Italian arias just for you. See you next week, sleepyheads.